This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. And in today's episode 26, I'll be discussing blended families, problems, pitfalls and solutions with clinical psychologist Nell Zandberg. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce my friend and peer psychologist, Nell Zandberg. Welcome, Nell. Thank you for having me. Nell Zandberg is a highly experienced clinical and consulting psychologist who has worked in both the public hospital system and private practice for over 25 years. Her private practices based in Manly and Gosford in Sydney, Australia, provide a full psychological service, which includes individual, couple and family therapy using a cognitive behavioural approach. Nell is also a registered professional supervisor of psychologists. She offers supervision for intern psychologists, fully registered psychologists and clinical psychologists who want to continue and expand their knowledge base and professional development. She has supervised staff in children's homes, drug education centres, hospital and community mental health teams, hospital rehabilitation and acute admission staff. Individual or group supervision can also be arranged with Nell. Nell, when we first met, it was because I engaged you as a supervisor all those years ago. I can't even imagine now how many years ago that was, Amanda, but it's been over 15, closer to 20? Closer to 20. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. And now here we are working side by side. Yes, it's lovely. Offices in Manly. Yeah. It's very exciting to have you next door. It's good to have you there. It's great. Now let's discuss this important topic. What are blended families? If you or your partner has a child from a previous partner, this means your family is a blended one. A blended family may include a step-parent, a step-sibling or a half-sibling, and it's possible to have all three of these. Now we were just talking about the likelihood of marriages to end. Yes, we have found very interesting statistics about, you know, marriages in Australia and in America as well. And we're finding that at this point in time, about 45% of first marriages will end in a separation and divorce. So we're talking about a great number and a growing number of situations where families recombine and you know, have to deal with the challenges Mm. and the stresses around trying to recreate a family. Yeah. And so we're seeing now that 40% of families in the US are blended. That's massive. I think in Australia, it's a bit less than that, but it's the biggest growing number of new types of families that we see. Yeah. In the UK, apparently it's 15 to 18% of families are blended. But in Australia, as you say, Nell, it's apparently only about 4%, but growing. And we often tend to follow the US in our patterns, usually about 15 years behind. I found that as well. I guess the statistics vary. I'm coming to see something along the lines of about a 16% of children in Australia are growing up in blended families as stepchildren with stepbrothers and stepsisters and stepparents. And that is growing as well. So we're really seeing a change in family structure, quite a central core change in family structure in this country, as well as in the Western world. Right now, 
The average duration of a marriage to the point of divorce is about 12.1 years. But the average duration to separation in a first marriage is 8.4 years. During lockdown, you know, also that has been an extra layer of stress on families all throughout the world. And at this point, about 42% of couples asked found that the COVID lockdown had negatively affected their relationship. And during the lockdown, couples considering separation rose about 300%. Wow. So we are looking at a very important topic right now. We are. And also about Apparently, 60 to 70% of blended families don't end up working out either. It's a very interesting statistic because often I think at the end of a marriage, we think we're just going to have to find the right person. That's what we're, yeah. we're, we're shooting for. But basically, first marriages have about a 45% divorce rate. Second marriages have about a 67% divorce rate. Third marriages have about an 80% yeah. divorce rate. So we're not getting better at this. We're actually getting worse. And it's very interesting to look at some of the causes for that. Absolutely. And looking at causes for blended families to work, apparently they undergo developmental pathways. And I was reading in the research that there are at least three salient issues identified in family experiences, and they were boundary management, solidarity, and adaptation. And the negotiation of these issues varied. Common challenges also include expectations, communication, and conflict resolution. Interestingly, in that second marriage statistic of 60 to 70% failure rate, the stepchildren and the ex-spouses were most often cited as a reason for the second marriage failure. Wow. So this, you know, really draws up that this is a agreement and a connection of a group of people, mm. not just two. Yes. And a lot of people who have gone through the second marriage and had it fail will actually note that the stepchildren and the ex-spouse kind of stirring the pot yes. quite a lot are the reasons quoted for the failure. And I read also that children have a difficult time sharing parents. Blended families may have more children than nuclear families, that sibling rivalry is a problem, identity confusion, mixed feelings about a step-parent, as you're saying, and legal disputes, financial difficulties, territorial infringement, and feeble family bonds. Well, that's true. And in real life, step-siblings don't always get along. Step-parents don't always bond with each other's children. Jealousy, resentment, conflicting parental styles and ex-partners all take their toll on the couple. Yeah. Few couples prepare for step-parenting when they remarry, and they expect it that it will all work itself out. Yes, I did read that too, that a lot of parents do just expect it will all work out. A recent article in the Journal of Divorce and Remarriage finds that blended families face unique challenges that differ greatly from those encountered by nuclear families, and societal stereotypes often view blended families as abnormal, taking nuclear family functioning as the prototype of all family units and create a lack of role clarity for each of the members involved, although many strategies exist with which to help families, many are based on nuclear family systems and so are inapplicable to blended families. The creation of a blended family life cycle specific to blended family systems 
really could help members of a blended family to create a successful family unit. That's an interesting point. You're right. The nucleus family is the prototype of which we judge. And a lot of what goes on in a nuclear family will go on to a greater extent in a blended family. Mm. Individuation of the teenage children, boundary pushing, Mm. role changes, all of these things play into the stresses and they are on a continuum with a nuclear family in one way, but on another way that we do need to see them as a unique and different kind of family structure requiring its own strategies to be developed. Absolutely. We have to understand that for almost all blended families, it starts with loss yes, and grief. Yes. And that is something that we have to bear in mind that this situation comes to being after a very core and central loss Mm. to the children, to the partner, and they're trying to move through their grief period and their adjustment period into a new way forward in a family. Because even if they've grieved, say, the separation, divorce, or even death of a parent, once you start a new family, then it takes you to the next stage of grief, of course. Yes, it does. And there's very interesting kind of dynamic that often goes on after a breakup of a marriage or a loss of a parent. And that is is that the separate father or the separate mother, the single parent, yep. tends to promote their oldest, typically daughter, but not always, child into the role yes. of the kind of surrogate partner. Mm. They liken it to, you know, inviting a child into the front seat of the car. Yeah. And driving through life with that child as a support. Mm. And the child starts to get some benefit and many stresses that come along with that role. Yes. They feel important. They feel protective of their parent. Mm. They feel that they have been promoted to make more decisions in the household. And that might go on for months or years with the introduction of a step parent. Then comes the demotion yes. of that child to yet another change in their lives. And not very surprisingly, they resist it. Yeah. So it has a lot of practical, dynamic issues within the group. Absolutely. In fact, I read that couples often sort of ask themselves, how can blending a new family be harder than the divorce I went through? Or, you know, why is everyone getting upset all the time? And this is because that each family is different and what works for one family blending won't work for another necessarily, that blending two families means starting over, as you're saying, and reworking many everyday issues that most of us take for granted. I think that that's correct. What tends to happen in the early part of a recoupling is a tremendous focus on getting that potential partner on side. And so there's a tremendous focus on the coupledom and not enough focus on the practicalities mm-hmm. and the compromises that will come with blending her children and his children into one household. Yeah. The era and the naivete of the Brady Bunch <laughs> isn't most people's experience of this. No. And they are quite surprised because they imagine all they need to do is secure the love and the commitment of the couple. Yes. And then that would naturally, everyone else will flow along with it. Yeah. 
but it is certainly quite surprising to people how dug in the children often are yes. against helping this to work. Wow. So we know that the things that help children's well-being after parents separate are the same things that work in any family, good parenting, supportive relationships, low conflict between the child's parents, and good communication between all. Is this the same as in blended families? Well, because we start in any second relationship with loss and grief, we have to give time to develop both the relationship and the children's process and the parents' process. You know, the first year and more likely two years post-separation and divorce is an awful, awful time. Emotions run very high. Mm. And there is so much to be worked out with, you know, the separated parents about custody and finances and schooling and access. This is not a good time, we've noted, to restart a new relationship because that other partner will suffer through so much of what the family is going through. And often it burns that relationship down before it can really get a proper start. Very few couples prepare for step-parenting. And so many rush forward to it. Yes. You know, I often still operate on the old guidelines of encouraging or advising parents to wait for at least 6 to 12 months before they introduce a new partner. Yes, that might work better, I think, with (laughs) – and this is a gender difference. Women seem more – settled to wait and go forward as a single parent for a period of time before they introduce a new partner possibility mm. to their children. Yep. Men are more anxious, tend yes. to be. They don't like the idea of being alone. No. So, th- like I said, they often do promote a child into the co-pilot seat mm-hmm. and will look much harder and act much quicker to establish another relationship. And that can be quite problematic because the couples that establish within two years of a separation are the ones most likely to be part of that 67% that fail. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It makes sense. And, you know, the different challenges at different ages of children when we're looking at couples blending families, I mean, I often, again, advise try not to do it around puberty for children. It's very hard to. We have all these ideal situations (laughs) of which in real life don't actually tend to play out at all. We can't choose when we (laughs) fall in love. We can't choose the age of our children when when we try to do that. But yes, the young teenager is one of the most, because they're going through an individuation. Yeah. And after a separation, they're often, like I said, given more authority, more responsibilities and more freedoms. And then they're asked to go backwards. And in life and in development, we don't go backwards very easily or happily. So that starts the disagreements between the new, you know, co-parenting because one set of children may be at a different stage of development with different parenting rules and different concessions to the single parent, you know, than the other. Mm. and trying to find a balance. So some children are promoted up and some children are 
demoted down. Yeah. And nobody feels quite comfortable with that. No, and parents often say, you know, I don't know how much to interfere and when and where I should or, you know, that's a- – It's very hard because, you know, the child turning to their step-parent saying, you are not my mother. Yes. Is <laughs> is classic. And actually the cultural concept of the stepmother being the evil stepmother <laughs> runs through our society. Now, step-parenting is often thankless and stressful, and it feels a lot like pushing mud uphill. But what I ask the step-parent to consider as being the responsible adult in that child's, a responsible adult in that child's life, not necessarily a parent, but an adult that cares about their well-being and their development and can oversee some of the activity, because some of these young teenagers because of the separation, are pushed far too far ahead Mm. in their individuation than they're ready for. Yeah. I saw in the media the other day, Michelle Williams, the actress, has just repartnered and had another baby. And her original child, I think Matilda, is I think 16. And it was said in the media that the new partner was her friend and they got on really well, had a natural, easy relationship together. What do you think of step-parents becoming friends? Well, I think that only works until there's conflict (laughs) and there will be conflict. So liking your step parent is a massive positive to start with, but it won't be enough. No. Because that parent will eventually turn to that child and say, don't do that because I'm telling you not to do that. Mm. And that's where the rub will come. Yeah. But that again is the rub in normal nuclear families. Yes. Maybe to a lesser extent or in a more graduated way, but it is all the same process, maybe ramped up a little bit, like, mm. you know, development on steroids. This happens very quickly. Also, there is a sense of the ex-spouse being critical of the new partner, yep. looking to divide it because she or he haven't gotten over their mm. loss and grief issues and been able to move forward. Maybe they haven't repartnered themselves. Mm. And they simply, you know, aren't enjoying seeing their children and their ex-partner moving forward successfully. And what about in situations that I'm seeing at the moment too where, you know, someone's partnering with a person who has younger kids, their kids are much older, and they're seeing the partner's younger kids having to blend with their father's new stepkids. (laughs) So these poor kids have got a blended family on both sides. Yeah. What do you make of that? Well, like I said, you know, siblings, what people don't understand is the major thing that make a sibling relationship, right, is growing up in the same household. Yeah. There's not much else that a sibling can be genetically quite different from their other sibling. Absolutely. And so they don't share a very wide genetic pool, but you may be as different from your sibling as you are from anyone else in the street. So what makes the connection? The connection makes a shared experience of growing up and being parented. But even in a nuclear family, older children and younger children might find their experience of the way their parents parented them quite different. And they don't feel that connection of shared parenting either. So, you know, we're just looking at really a spontaneous group of individuals trying to build something 
not based on genetics, not based on particularly choosing somebody out and liking somebody. And so really what's the most important thing to understand about a blended family is the relationship of the couple is the entire linchpin on which it all hangs. Yep. Because without that relationship, there is no family. Yeah. There is no blended family if that relationship of the couple begins to erode and mm. fall apart. So while it's very important to consider the children and their needs individually as people, you also have to understand and work at constantly the coupledom. Yep. Because if that fails, we're looking at, you know, another of that 67% mm. that don't make it. Because without the couple, there is no family. There is no connection. And children divide and conquer parents anyway, but let alone step parents. Well, the thing is, is that what we understand is low power people manipulate yeah. to get their way. Yeah. Children are, tend to be low power and they can become brilliant manipulators. Yes. And that's all to their credit, actually, yeah. their brains. And they all do it. And it isn't abnormal or wrong. But the parents need to understand what's happening. Yes, and be the bigger people and share values. So I guess, you know, to be a cohesive unit as new parents coming together with individual children, that ability to have similar shared values is going to be really important. Yeah. One of the things I see over and over again in the therapy room is people who feel madly in love, Yeah, you know, and, and feel that that's so wonderful. Lots of attraction, lots of energy, lots of positive forward you know, view, but a very romantic mm. view of what bringing their family and moving into a single home was going to be. Yep. So we do see, because same, same don't attract. No. Difference attracts. Yeah. But that difference, you know, is all accepted within the coupledom and that's all fine. But when it starts to share out over the children, that difference becomes more pointed. Yes. And more difficult to manage. Yep. And so in that respect, families really come to a bit of a dead halt with ideas about parenting that are quite different from each other. I suppose that ideally, as a psychologist, I, you know, I would love people to enter into the possibility of a second marriage and a blended family, all with forewarned is forearmed. Yeah. Yeah, with plans is something I was reading in the research, even though there's very little in the research about blended families and how to guide them. No, I, I did a bit of search before our talk today. I know these things kind of intuitively from the work I yeah. do, but was looking for statistics and looking for, you know, papers and there wasn't no. very much. And that was interesting in itself. Isn't and it? I think this is a PhD subject for <laughs> Quite a few aspiring psychologists <laughs> to go off and, 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 and try to, you know, investigate. Because in a hundred years or two hundred years, we may have a very, very different view of what a family yeah. is. We'll have more, you know, gay couples as parenting families. Yep. We'll have many more separated and recombined families. Mm. We'll have more single parenting. Yeah. And so the nuclear family may in the future be the odd family out. Oh, I can imagine. I think that the trends seem to be going Mm. steadily in that direction. And so we do need to free up our ideas a little bit about, you know, what is a family supposed to be? Absolutely. What do you advise people who find frustratingly that a 
parent of the child that they're a step-parent of refuses to be part of the communications so that they're trying to understand or work with the biological parent of a child that they're now the step-parent of, but this biological parent who's estranged from their now partner, the step-parent's now partner, they won't communicate with them about the child. And This goes back to the point a little bit about timing, of which we have so little control. When this couple discover each other, the new couple discover each other and and embark upon a life before two years has passed, very commonly the ex-spouse is not through the grief period and acceptance of the new world regime Mm. as a single parent. And typically much before five years, there's still a tremendous amount of animosity that tends to go on between, you know, separated parents. Wow. And so if that parent is still grieving the relationship, Mm. if they still feel left behind or betrayed or undervalued, they will just almost automatically look to sabotage Mm -hmm. the new relationship of their ex-partner. I find that happens far, far less often five years after a divorce. Wow than I do after one or two years. Yep. So it is because at that point, only a very small group are still holding on to those previous relationships and hurts and angers. And I'm sure there are many people listening to this podcast thinking, five years, I'm not waiting that long to repartner. <laughs> no, no. But I think going in, understanding yeah. the statistics understanding the hidden stresses that you don't predict, Mm. understanding that planning and joint conversations around how to handle certain things early and who has final word on. Like I said, even in nuclear families, you have one parent typically who's making final decisions over the management of the children. Mm. The other parent will add in information and listen to their partner and usually allow the partner to make their final decision. Mm. This is what can go on with the new couple, the remarriage, that you consult with your partner about what you think is best for your child, but then you make final decision. Mm. And she might discuss with you what might be best in managing her child, but her is a final decision about her children. And so it's collaborative, Mm. but there is somebody who is set up to make final decisions about their children. The closer this comes to an agreement, the better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a risk in that too, that if each person with their own biological children are the ones most in charge of those children, that it doesn't really blend. It's not most in charge, but this is over changes or disciplinary measures or, you know, there should be agreed upon house rules. Yes. That all children appropriate to their age are under. Yeah. And that needs to be established before any household opens up for the children. And often it is not done. It all is, you know, suck it and see. And that is not exactly how best to ensure that things go more smoothly. So it needs to be conscious blending. Conscious blending and preparation, having pre-conversations with psychologists, having pre-conversations in a family environment, you know, to Mm -hmm. find out what the concerns of the children are and to address them and 
to understand that the children will move through this situation and grow. They do not have to love each other. Good point. They do not have to love each other. They just need to be respectful and civil. And they don't have to love the step-parent? No. No? No, they don't. And the step, you know, often because of a romantic kind of view that tends to, you know, overcome us periodically, a couple may come in and one may be a a parent and the other one not. Mm. And that one that is not a parent is full-heartedly embracing that child because she has none of her own. But then she has subsequent children. Yes. And then the division starts to become apparent to her. Oh, yeah. That what she feels for her own biological children that she gave birth to is substantially different Mm. from the way she feels about her stepchild. And being honest about that and addressing it head on Mm. is much better than pretending it doesn't exist. And when she doesn't have her own biological children, this is when we see so many women give so much to that stepchild or children and feel so devalued. Well, it's interesting because it's been my experience that if there are no more children of that, you know, so that a woman or a man who is coming to a family with a, a stepchild, you know, or several, and there are no competing children, mm. they have, I guess, a slightly better percentage of chance of being able to make that work. Okay. Because it's not yours and, you know, yours or mine or, mm-hmm. you know, it's ours. Yeah. Because the parent without children, that's the bond they have with a child. They don't have anything mm. to compare it to. Yeah. And often that child will accept that parent better mm-hmm. than if that step parent comes with a whole nother bunch of kids. Interesting. So maybe the examples that I'm seeing are where parents aren't cohesive enough that they're divided by the existing child yes. or children. Like I say, there's like a flight into recovery that yeah. it tends to happen post a separation where we just think, no, I'm turning the corner. I'm going to make this life work. And there's a tremendous amount of optimism, probably not well-placed, of how difficult it will be. Yeah. But people go after a relationship, and often they're saying to themselves, I just want to find the right person. But it isn't about finding the right person. It's about being the right person and attracting the right person to you. Mm. And while people are trying to find the right person, will continue to have, you know, these kinds of separation and divorce rates amongst second and third marriages. Yeah, true. And what about when we see naturally things like, you know, children adapt, children like you see often the eldest boy will be protective of the mother, even if they're not sort of being encouraged to be a co-pilot, that they automatically want to step up in that way. What should parents do? It's difficult because, as we know, developmentally, that's sort of where they are. Yeah. You know, we see this, and it's quite frightening sometimes, in domestic violence situations where young 12, 13, 14-year-old boys will try to stand between a violent parent and their mother. Mm. They have a kind of a burgeoning masculinity driven by hormones, and it starts to manifest itself. Yep. The same with the older female children will often attend her father mm-hmm. as, you know, a buddy sidekick and kind of Clayton's spouse. Yep. And it does feel like being replaced yet again. It does feel like being demoted. And it is very difficult for the child mm. and probably worth having that child in to discuss that in some kind of therapeutic environment 
if it becomes an issue because it is careful and a bit artful management of that teenager Mm. to say, you're not becoming a child again. We're going to accommodate some of the advances that you've been pushed through. And some of them we're going to have to wait till we take the next step of independence a little bit longer. Yeah. And maybe if children are sort of stepping up to become co-pilots then parents push back a little bit on them. Well, that's the thing. If we're aware that we're young enough and motivated enough to try to repartner, we need to understand our children are not our therapists, nor our equals cognitively, right? And are not very prepared to be the support person for their mm. parent. Yeah. That's called parentalization. Yeah. And in my business, we disapprove of this. <laughs> we like children and teenagers to be at the developmental level. Yes. And we know that at puberty and, and beyond, the child will push that boundary mm. always yes. towards maturity, towards independence, and towards more power mm. in the relationship. And this is natural. Yep. This is not a dysfunctional or evil or, you know, or problematic. This is natural. But how do we prepare for it? That's really all that the question is. How does the, the new couple bond together, take strength from each other, take experience from each other, and take advice from each other that will support them in their parenting? And the more education they can find in making this blended family work, the more successful it's going to be. I think so. I think the problem is they don't want to talk about the potential problems yes. because they're in a kind of a, a frenzy of, of happiness and it's all going to be lovely and we're going to have such a beautiful life. And so trying to get them to address problems before they're aware of them yes. is often like pulling teeth Yeah, and they get cranky and they go, you're just creating problems where none exist. Mm. And it's only through the longitudinal and the group of, of families that have paraded through the therapy room that we understand that they all share yes. this possibility of really, really struggling. Yeah. And probably it might be enough to break them down. And I guess extended family can really make a big difference to that as well, if you've got supportive extended family. Yes, and also when blended families kind of occur, grandparents get lost. Yeah, Grandparents have no rights of parenting no rights of Mm. access, no rights of custody. But the child, every child benefits from the attention and focus of a concerned adult. Absolutely. And we know that the factor, that factors into a a child's ultimate success. Mm. So if their parents or their step-parents are in terrible conflict with them, often it's a grandparent or an uncle or aunt that can be the sounding board for that youngster and be the supportive person for them, you know, through that conflict. Definitely. So now let's recap on tips for parents in these blended families. What do you think is the main thing that helps parents to have successfully blended families? Well, I think that when a couple is reached a point where they are imagining moving in together, and sharing a household, that it would, however self-serving this sounds, (laughs) they would find it helpful to perhaps speak to a therapist who has experience in this. And successful blending of families include, first, a consistency in parenting. So to review 
the parenting ideas and strategies that each parent has used in the past in their original relationship yep. and how that might change and how well they map each other. Mm-hmm. Communication, being able to speak at length and comprehensively with the older children mm-hmm. to get them to understand and to be understanding of their aversion to change yeah. and to guide them through that. Flexibility, not trying to hold the line all the time. Yes. To think flexibly around a problem, to be able to let the adrenaline drain out of a situation before they readdress it. Patience with dealing with the inevitable conflict that's going to come up in a productive way. So conflict is going to happen. Yes. How do we cope? You know, how do we address it? And it's resiliency, flexibility, strong communication, and a similar moral base Mm -hmm. for which a couple can build. They can be quite different in personality. They need a related and continuous moral base. Like values. Values. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there is hope because we're going to have to hope for our skills to improve because they are more and more going to be a very, very common family setup in the future. Absolutely. And people need to remember to reach out to psychologists who are experienced in this area to help inform them, to diffuse tensions, as you say, to resolve conflicts as a couple negotiating all of this. So not needing to solve it all on their own. And I I looked at this Step Parents Survival Guide as well, which said exactly what you were saying earlier, Nell, that uh, step parents who just try to fit in to an existing family often fail to create the happy blended family they'd hoped for, and that step parents who take control of their new position in the step family, in the blended family, build a family plan for the future, are much more successful that a personalized plan for building a cohesive blended family tends to make it more successful. And working on feelings of defensiveness and competitiveness and overcome these feelings of alienation within families helps to build healthy relationships, particularly in the first year of that blended family, that navigating discipline issues and responsibilities and dealing with the extended family or former spouses and keeping their own marriage, as you said, that unit alive, that new unit is key. It's pivotal to that blended family. Yes. So people can reach you, Nell, on your website at www.manlypsychology.com.au or they can find you on your mobile phone number 0417-233-017. And if you or your family are in strife and needing a psychologist or just looking for extra information, education, support or help, Seek a psychologist at the findapsychologist.org.au, Australian Psychological Society's website, and seek an experienced psychologist in the area of issue you have. Nell, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a real pleasure to see you today. Wonderful. And I'm sure this podcast will help many families. Okay. I hope so. Always hope so. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes. The opinions expressed by guests in these podcasts aren't necessarily shared by me.